Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Keep Left, the program at Victorian Labor College. In the studio is John Lafferty. Morning. And myself, Chris Gaffney. Well, uh, I'm going to start with what John actually attended the demonstration that took place out at Milton over the weekend, so he can give his impressions there, which aren't what you would expect. But let me give some background first. I'm not trying to paint you into a corner there, John. You'll escape it, no doubt. But over the last year, the Australian media has been extensively reporting on the activities of Reclaim Australia, the United Patriots Front, Rise Up Australia, and the newly established Australian Liberty Alliance and other ultra-right formations. Encouraged by uh, Canberra's deepening military involvement in US interventions in the Middle East and by hysterical claims by Liberal and Labor Party people alike that Australia faces domestic terror attacks, of which there seems to have been only one, the extreme right has stepped up its agitation against Muslims and asylum seekers. Now, while the promotion of these outfits, uh, far right-wing outfits, has usually been the stock in trade of people like Alan Jones in New South Wales and uh, radio shock jocks in, in Melbourne and Sydney, the ABC and the SBS, the government organisations, is now giving extensive coverage. Barely a week goes by without these networks providing information on the activities of one or other of these anti-Islamic hate groups. Last month, for example, the ABC reported on the founding conference of the Australian Liberty Alliance, the ALA, which was officially registered with the uh, Electoral Commission and will plans to run Senate candidates in last, next year's election. Largely unknown until the ABC coverage, the Australian Liberty Alliance's conference was addressed by Gert Wilders, who's head of Holland's Holland's Party for Freedom, a notorious racist demagogue. He specialises in whipping up backward layers of the population against immigrants and Muslims, claiming that the principal threat facing society is Islamization. A word of which I just made a complete mess. Islamization. Is that that? Thank you, John. <laughs> the ALA wants bans on all full-face religious coverings in public, a 10-year moratorium on resident visa applications by people from Islamic countries, and Australia's removal from the UN Refugees Convention. It also wants increased military spending and free market austerity measures. Um, Now, on the ABC report, uh, including a 7.30 report, not a single critical question or comment was directed towards Wilders or Robinson, who was a spokesman for the uh, fascists, about their policy. The 7.30 journalist Lauren Day politely asked Robinson just one question, which went like this. Wilders has called Islam a retarded and barbaric culture. He likened the Koran to Hitler's Mein Kampf, and he called Muhammad a pedophile and a terrorist. Do you endorse these views? Robinson replied that she did, and she wasn't challenged. Religious fascism... Well, she wasn't challenged. I think is- Islamism. Well, that's well, that's right. That Islamism. Is- I mean, George Scanlon says it's religious fascism. Islamism is absolutely. Well, I'm not. I'm not really. I'm not questioning that. It's just religious that- fascism. <coughs> the ABC 
didn't question her on what would appear to be reasonably outrageous uh, comparing the Koran to Hitler's Mein Kampf. Why not compare the Bible to Mein Kampf while, you, while you're about it? But the woman said, yes, I support all these views. No, but, but why do you support them? How do you justify them? On the same day, a background briefing on the ABC's Radio National presented a 40-minute program entitled Anti-Muslim Extremists anti-Muslim extremists, mind you, how far will they go? And they included excerpts from violent race-hate speeches by various demagogues. While the program did voice some concern about the growth of these groups, a number of those interviewed insisted that many in the far right were just misunderstood individuals. Background briefing did not make a single reference to Australia's involvement in the US war on terror, or the increasingly provocative allegations by various MPs, state and federal, to the effect that Islam is responsible for terrorism. Rise Up Australia President and fundamentalist Christian Daniel Nalia proclaimed the neo-fascist elements as, quote, this will amaze you, lovely Australian boys who love their country. <laughs> well, he's, uh, he's actually originally from Saudi Arabia and, and a very unusual little fellow he is indeed. Well, he is, yeah. Um, Amazingly, he's a Christian. No, he's not. Well, he actually. says he's <laughs> But uh, <laughs> he, I mean, he might say he is, but I don't know what he is. But he's, he's, Well, he, he's, he poses as a Christian parson. I think he poses as quite a few things. Um, listeners, uh, now when Listener was quoted on this, listeners were given no information about Nalia's own political history or views. Mm. He's rabidly anti-Islam, opposes homosexuality and abortion, and declares Australia is too tolerant. Did the ABC explore any of these views? Not a bit of it. I did say he was originally from Saudi Arabia, so the only thing which he's dropped is that he's, um, he's, he's switched to Christianity against Islam, but everything else is pretty much well, the Saudi, as still. the Saudi regime have it today, yes. and as a lot of the Islamists would want to have it yes. throughout the world. Australian Federal Police Counter-Terrorism Chief Neil Gagan admitted that many involved in the far right had military backgrounds, mm. but, quote, these were just young men looking for a purpose in life. A the purpose in life being to beat up Muslims. Well, the one I was speaking to was a 19-year-old boy who had been in the cadets. Walking oh. class kid. Yeah, yeah. A little bit deluded, maybe, but hey, weren't we, all, weren't we all at 19? I mean, well, you were in the Labour Party. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I admit it. <laughs> uh, thank you for reminding people about that. Um, uh, Boris, um, Max Textor a Liberal Party strategist and campaign advisor for London's Tory <laughs> Mayor Boris Johnson, told the programme that was Islamophobia was a fantasy and did not exist in Australia. Where does this man live? What is to account for the ABC's widespread coverage of the far right and its barely disguised efforts to legitimise these reactionary organisations? The answer lies in the deepening political crisis facing Australia's traditional establishment parties, Liberal, Labour and National, which confront mass hostility to their growing assault on jobs and living standards, cut in vital social programs and the ever-expanding spending on the war and the military. Fearing the eruption of popular opposition to this agenda, 
Australia's political elite and its media mouthpieces are making concerted efforts to fashion new political mechanisms to defend its rule by whipping up divisions in the working class along racial and religious lines. Mm. Incessant propaganda about the war on terror is being used to drown out all critical thinking about the never-ending military interventions Mm -hmm. in order to condition the population for new and more disastrous wars. Mm. I'm agreeing with you now. It's amazing. This is in line with the militarism, patriotism and xenophobia underpinning Australia's multi-million dollar World War I celebrations. And you may remember the barrage of militarism and uh, war glory for the war buffs on uh, Anzac Day last year, which was, of course, the, the uh, well, this year, wasn't it? 100th anniversary of the uh, assault on, in Turkey. Uh, remembering, of course, that the, ABC, the SBS sports journalist Scott McIntyre was sacked after he tweeted his disgust at the wall-to-wall promotion of war and he challenged some of the official lies about Australia's involvement in World War I and other imperialist wars, which no newspaper did. No newspaper attacked the basis of the war at all. Media promotion of neo-fascist and anti-Muslim groups is international, of course. As German imperialism seeks to carve out a new place for itself on the world arena, its ruling elites, aided and bettered by the media, of course, by academia and by sections of the middle class, are openly promoting extreme right-wing forces, anti-immigrant racists and apologists for Hitler's Nazi regime. In the late 1990s, Australia's political establishment and the media toyed with such element. Pauline Hanson, a right-wing xenophobe, was discovered and was used to prepare the political climate for the Howard government to deepen social attacks on the working class carried out by the previous Hawke and Labor and Keating Labor governments. The media gave extensive coverage to Hanson's racist diatribes, blaming Asian immigration and the British vision of social welfare to Aborigines and other expressed minorities, for falling working class standards as well. The political establishment only denounced her views as unacceptable after her One Nation Party won, Queens, won seats in the Queensland Parliament and began threatening the electoral base of the National Party, the Liberal Party's coalition party. To preserve the two-party system, the ruling elite utilised the court to shatter Hanson's movement. <clears throat> Australia's ruling establishment faces a geostrategic dilemma. Canberra is politically tied to the United States imperialism. We remember that the Labor government has given the Darwin as a base for US aggressive operations in the region. And not and supported also not only its military incursions in the Middle East, but Washington's pivot to Asia and its preparation for war against China. But at the same time, there is deep-seated anti-war sentiment that finds no expression at all in the political establishment. Liberal, Labour, even Greens. Mm-hmm. They haven't come out and said, we're opposed to war. Yeah. During the election and other occasions, the ABC, SBS and other media outlets refused to provide coverage of groups like the Socialist Equity Party, for example, Social Alliance and uh, Socialist Alternative who want to mobilise the international working class on a socialist program to abolish capitalism and see this as the only way to to prevent imperialist wars. The media attempts to justify this censorship, claiming they've only got time and place for the major parties. 
however, no censorship of that sort applies to Reclaim Australia, in certainly smaller than the socialist groups, to the ALA and other ruling groups. The promotion of the extreme right by the state-funded networks is a clear warning that Australia's ruling elite is considering new anti-democratic forms of rule in order to impose its agenda of war and a deepening assault on the social rights of the working class. That's what I think the the protests mean. Now, John, you went there on, uh, when was it, last Sunday? Yeah, it was on last Sunday. I wasn't actually going to speak about this at all. Uh, and, you know, I haven't been watching TV the past couple of months, and it sounds good that I haven't been watching TV because it seems to just like more of what the Herald Sun puts oh, on well, the front Oh, well, it is. It is just in slightly more sophisticated form. Yeah, generally speaking, it's a diversion to the class struggle and the possible onset of World War Three, which took place this week, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, it was a very small demonstration overall. I mean, if you took the left fascists and the right fascists together, it wouldn't have been much more than the a left thousand. fascists. You must explain. Well, there were some people that were sensible, but they tended to be on the fringes, and I was, <laughs> and I spoke to a few of them. Right. But there was some pretty, pretty out base there people. Uh, a lot of them were very young. A lot of them were very young, and. Um, maybe just getting a bit of an education about things and wanting to see the world in black and white terms wasn't really uh, very helpful. But as I say, it was very very small. You were speaking about similarities between um, Mein Kampf and other belief systems. Um, I spoke to a fellow. He, he told me it was good that there were no synagogues in Saudi Arabia. I also spoke to a Trotskyite anarchist. He said that, a Trotskyite atheist, and he said that there were synagogues in Saudi Arabia I'm pretty sure there aren't. But this fellow told me it was good that there were no synagogues in Saudi Arabia. It was bad that Australia was secularist. Uh, There needs to be one religion for this country and for the world. And Jewish people, and I hate to say this, it's quite repulsive, but this is what he said, set fire to them. Now, when right. I spoke to John Safran, because John Safran was, you know, John Safran, oh, the, yes, the, yes, the, 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 the satirist, very good yes, satirist, yes, used yes. to be on TV, yes, happens yes. to be Jewish. Yes. Um, he, he's very much involved. In, he loves to speak about religion. He was recording. I said, John, come and have a listen to this fellow. This might be interesting for you, you know. And uh, he came over, and uh, th- th- this <laughs> other fellow saw that. There was recording equipment there, and he came in and he gave a politically correct version, but I can tell you, that's what this fellow was saying. And I said to him, you're a fascist. You're a fascist. As Joseph Scanner would say, a religious fascist. So that's why I use these expressions, left fascist and right fascist, because they're definitely but elements... You wouldn't, I think it's a bit unfair to characterise all the people who turned up to oppose the, the fascist out of Milton as left fascist. I wouldn't say that all the, the people on the other side were fascist, necessarily. No, I wouldn't. Deluded, possibly. A lot of people were deluded on yeah, the day, yeah, you know. Yeah. But to, to blanket, well, I do to, think to I, everyone with the term fascist, no. I mean, for instance, well, but you listen to this. certainly. Okay, okay. Well, some people. What do you think about people who object to what other people wear? For instance, burkas. Are they fascists? People who object to other people. To, what, to, to for instance, the wearing of a burka. Would no, you that, call does, that, that doesn't make you a fascist. It doesn't. Well, no, it might make you but intolerant a fascist, or a bigot. Yeah, but, but it, that, a fascist has got. I mean, fascist term, the term fascist is used loosely, carelessly, yes. and improperly. Yes. Fascism has a specific meaning occurring at a certain mm. stage of the class struggle, but it's used generically now to mean basically any far right winger. And these were people I was speaking to on the so called left, and I, was, I said to two people, What is fascism? And one of them. Give me a root answer. 
And the other polite answer was going effing well, Google it. You know. Yeah. I mean, seriously, fascism way predates Google. <laughs> well, yeah, yes, but yes, I didn't yes. have a conversation with this person because they were screaming, they were aggressive, and they were the ones that well, were they were in a wanting to. They might have been worked up. No, no, this was a, just a one-on-one attempt at a conversation. Because this, this is what I was trying to. This is what I was. No, I just said, <laughs> "What is fascism?" But like I said, I brought up the wearing of the burqa because I believe that uh, somebody who objects to what someone else wears, I think that's pretty. Bigotism. What right have you got? Yeah, I there was a little should be allowed to wear what they want to wear. Yeah, there was a little further there. He 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 committed the crime of wearing a Union Jack badge, very small one, and uh, he he'd been a cadet. He's only nineteen years old, and some of the anti-fascists, as they call themselves, went up to this fella and said, "Why are you wearing white shoelaces?" This little bloke had white shoelaces on. Now, the fellow said that he was actually wearing a mask and his mate was wearing a gas mask, <laughs> right? And right. screaming at this little bloke, why are you wearing white shoelaces? Because apparently white shoelaces denotes something in the You play skinhead, tennis? In the skinhead. You play tennis? I was wearing white shoelaces when right. I looked down. They were dirty, but they were still white. I said to the little fellow, why are you wearing white shoelaces? And he says, because these black shoelaces broke. But apparently it has some meaning. So what if it has some meaning? He can still wear his bloody white shoelaces. Yes, yes, yes. And if you attack somebody, and they were ganging up in this little fella, and I said to him, I said, look, mate, you better just get to the other side, which I think is where you want to be. He did come back. He was being very provocative. There was this on both sides. There was provo- provocation on both sides. But uh, I was just, you were speaking about Mein Kampf, and I was bringing up the... Um, the idea of no synagogues, the uh, anti-secularism, one religion for the world, etc., etc. And, you know, I think some of that does get close to Mein Kampf. Well, it may do, but, I mean, it's not left-wing. I mean, the fact the fact that you call a demonstration against the fascists, you can't guarantee the politics of everybody no, speaking who turns about the, up there. The similarity between the fellow I was yes, speaking so I'm to saying, but you and can't, Mein Kampf. You can't... I mean, if you call a, a demonstration to uh, hold back the fascists, mm. you can't guarantee that every person there is going to have an advanced Marxist understanding of what capitalism is doing and the role of fascism. Which is going, what I was looking for. Well, <laughs> come to three cigar <laughs> rather than. Of course, you're going to get people like that 19 year old Muslim fellow about one religion. I mean, clear that bloke. No, he was a skinhead. Oh, he was a skinner. Yeah, well, I went, well, I went, whatever it was, he needed education as yeah. much as the people he was demonstrating against. But uh, but that shouldn't... The fact that there are sort of idiots on both sides yes. doesn't mean that there's not some fundamental political difference about which we have to take sides. Yeah. That is, Reclaim Australia and all the rest of are anti-working class people who are being used by the establishment to divert the working class into pointless discussions about Islam, etc. Yes, and this is, is a ridiculous diversion. And the thing, I, about, I, the, I, the thing I, about Islam is th- th- these same people, I say, oh, it's, it's a religion with stupid beliefs. Have a look at Christianity. Well, you this, want stupid beliefs. Yeah, well, this is, I mean, Christianity is just as silly as any religion is. The only difference is that Christianity happens to be the religion of the uh, major imperialist mongrels of the world, Such namely the United States. Like Turkey and Saudi Arabia and... Well, anyway. well except <laughs> they don't compare to the United States. These are... They're, they're certainly doing the dirty work for they're certainly, yes. As is Israel. Oh, yes, on behalf Don't of... Jewish. Yes, exactly. So it doesn't really matter, though. I, I agree, I agree. Okay. It's, so, the, you've, got to start with imp- you've got to start with imperialism because that's what's created this situation in the Middle East. Anyway, so I, 
I, I think what happened in Melton was uh, a little bit of a very much a side issue, and it's really a bit silly, you know. But, I, but when I was going there, speaking about philosophy, when I was going there, I was thinking, well, this, is this the right versus the left of Hegel? And by the end of it, I was thinking, no, and it was pointed out, it's more the right and the left of skinhead. But do you see, I know people even, even went there who... My son, for example. I'm speaking about the real hardcore morons, you know. Well, ones. you mean you probably you mean the people you know, that the, you're the, attracted to. No, the ones, no, <laughs> no, the ones who managed to get on the front page of the Herald. You know, well, yes, is, but then the Herald saying they're going to look for the, the yeah. looniest person there. Well, the one using the flagpole as a weapon, which could easily have put the other fella's eye out, and that isn't the Herald sign, and I was right there for that. And apparently the one who punched a horse, and I'm not going to say punched a police horse, it doesn't know it's a police horse, it's just a horse. Yes. Don't punch horses. No, not quite. <laughs> quite, quite. <laughs> anyway, can we get into the bigger stuff? Yes. The talk says shot down a Russian jet, and so this, this Tuesday the situation in the Middle East has become even more volata- volatile when Turkish M-16 jets shot down a Russian Su-24 bomber. The Turks claimed that the Russian jet had violated their airspace. However, all... By one kilometre. Well, yeah, well, uh, okay. However, all sides accept that the Su-24 was hit inside Syrian airspace and it crashed inside Syria at least four kilometres from the border. Even if Turkish airspace had been accidentally violated... The normal course of action would have been to escort the Russians away from the area. It isn't unusual for airspace to be violated. The past year, both the Greeks and the Israelis, amongst others, have violated Turkish airspace on numerous occasions. But there is no one-way traffic. Apparently, Turkey violated Greek airspace hundreds, if not thousands, of times in 2014 alone. This Russian aircraft travels at up to two and a half thousand kilometres an hour. Right. So slipping one kilometre over a border is always a possibility if you're travelling at that speed. And yes. if you have a look at the border, it's, you can, it's more understandable. The Russian pilot and co-pilot of the aircraft ejected from their plane after being hit by the American-built Sidewinder missile. They parachuted towards Earth and Syria. As they did so, a group of about four from one of the Islamist groups machine-gunned the men. One of them was almost certainly killed, while the other survived. When a Russian helicopter flew, to, um, flew in to try to rescue their comrades, the helicopter was blown up. This is all on video. As the Islamists committed these war crimes, they cheered and chanted, Allah Akbar, or God is great. All of this can be seen on video as it happened. Russian President Putin was right to condemn these as terrorists and accomplices of terrorists. I believe he was referring to the Turkish government of Erdogan, accomplices of terrorists. Despite that, US President Obama gave a short speech where he said, Turkey has a right to defend its territory and its airspace. I do think this points to an ongoing problem with the Russian operations in the sense that they are going after moderate opposition that are supported by a wide range of countries. If Russia is directing its energies towards Daesh and ISIL, some of these conflicts are less likely to occur. Our view from the start has been that Russia is welcome to be part of this broad-based coalition that we've set up against ISIL. Mm -hmm. Obama's statement defies logic. As he says, all countries do have a right to defend their territory and airspace. Nevertheless, the Turks chose to shoot down the plane of a country they now refer to as a friend. 
The plane and its pilots landed not in Turkey, but in Syria. It's also hard to believe that Turkey, a NATO member, didn't have some kind of authorization or go-ahead from the US, the leader of the anti-Russian NATO military alliance. Secondly, Obama's oft-repeated statement that the Russians are going after moderate opposition groups is highly supported in this case. Do moderates shout and scream Allah Akbar as they compete to kill a defenseless parachutist? Do they then destroy a helicopter team which is clearly posing them no threat but is on a mission to rescue a downed pilot? Obama suggests that these conflicts can be avoided if Russia would only direct its energies towards Daesh and ISIL. It has been widely acknowledged by a lot of people even in the West that the Russians have done far more to weaken Daesh and ISIL in the past two months than the West has done in years of trying to appear to take on the Islamists. Obama finishes up by saying that Russia is welcome to join the broad-based coalition that we've set up against ISIL. This coalition he speaks about may be so broad-based that many of those within it are actually as bad as those on the other side. And just look at who armed, aided and abetted so many of the Islamists over the past decades. The weapons used to attack the Russian jet, its pilots and the helicopter were all made in the US. The weapons used by Daesh, ISIL and the rest are almost exclusively American and not just before, because they were left around by departing American soldiers from Iraq. Many of these weapons were also supplied by the US directly or by their proxies, the Saudis, the what Israelis the, the fleet and of, the Turks. The fleet of Toyota trucks too. What yeah, these Toyota trucks. Would yeah. that be the Japanese sell them directly, did they? <laughs> I guess so. I <laughs> Japanese and Chinese making a quid. Some, uh, yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> They, well, I mean, there's somebody always going to make money out of yeah, it. Of course, yeah, course. Oh, sure. of course. good business. These same proxies are also the ones hell-bent on overthrowing Syria's Assad for their own economic and strategic ends. Obama's broad coalition features some of the most reactionary forces there are. As a lame duck entering the final year of his presidency, Obama is being exposed as just as much a tool of the military-industrial complex as were any of his predecessors. Mm-hmm. Isn't that true? The biggest beneficiaries of those war drives we just said are the multinational armaments and oil and, yeah, I would say, automobile companies. The Turks are also playing a dangerous game. Prime Minister Ahmet Davutoglu stated on Wednesday that he had given a standing order to the country's military to shoot down any aircraft violating Turkish airspace. The Syrian government has authorised the Russian air force to operate against Islamist militia in that country, and this wasn't openly opposed by Turkey. Not openly. However, the Turkish action, backed by the US and NATO, is very close to being an act of war. The Secretary-General of NATO was Jens Stoltenberg. He said... As we have repeatedly made clear, we stand in solidarity with Turkey and support the integrity of our NATO ally. It is becoming increasingly clear that given a choice between supporting Assad, Putin or the Islamists, Washington and her allies will actually support the Islamists. This probably should come as no surprise. In 1979, Washington supported the Islamist Mujahideen against the Soviets. In 1990, they supported the despotic fundamentalists of Saudi Arabia and Kuwait against Iraq. In 2003, they invaded Iraq and created the perfect conditions for the Islamists to flourish. And they are. On Thursday, the French President Hollande, that's just this morning, um, met with President Putin in Moscow, um, where they discussed forming a more coherent alliance. 
against the Islamists in Iraq, Syria and elsewhere. Putin has been calling for United Nations action for some time. He once again made this call against what he calls the common enemy, or in his language, the common evil. Putin also stated that Russia had been advising the relevant nations where it would be bombing the Islamists all along. He made this point that therefore the Americans and the Turks would have known of the Russian action on Tuesday, so there was no excuse for the aggression. It has been suggested by some, for instance I read a Counterpunch article, that the Turkish regime actually wants to antagonise Russia to help draw the United States and NATO deeper into the Syrian quagmire. As exposed by WikiLeaks, both the United States and Israel have been working to depose Syria's President Bashar al-Assad at least since 2006. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Much of this is related to oil supplies. This is a whole other issue. Much of it is related to oil supplies. In Middle Eastern uh, affairs, oil and economics in general are often at the heart of the problem. and We can discuss that. I'm sure somebody will want to speak about that. A dangerous situation is becoming evident to many across the world. Unfortunately for Australia, this country's establishment is far too closely tied to the US war machine for us to switch back even if we wanted to. We will inevitably follow the US lead, no matter how wrong it may be. Good. Very, very, um, very dangerous situation. It's well, it is. Hard it to is. figure out what's going on, but it's, um, it's not looking good at the moment. No, no, no. Well, people, it's 10.29. It's your chance. We've, I have more material, but I'll, it's your chance to ring up on any topic, whether we've talked about it or not, whether you agree with us or not. Uh, the number to ring is 94190155. 94190155. I'll give that again. 94190155. There's nobody there taking that. Well, I might just talk for a second. Do you want to go and get... Yeah, sure. And I'll just... Um, amongst uh, what the Americans call middle-class uh, uh, Americans, although let's, let's forget about class for a second, amongst middle-aged white Americans, the death rate is rising, even as the rest of the world enjoys longer lifespans. Suicide is the tenth leading cause of death in America and accounts for a large portion of the rising death toll amongst uh, middle-aged males. In 2013, more than 41,000 took their lives, of whom 32,000 were men. Suicide is far more common amongst white men than black men. For the vast majority of Americans, economic and social conditions have been in decline for years. The median wage adjusted for inflation has been stuck at $550 a week since 1999. The pre-tax incomes reported on 90% of tax returns were in real terms about the, at about the same time as they were back in 1966. So real wages since 1966 have risen six-tenths of 1%. That's huge, isn't we're, it? We're greedy, aren't we? We're greedy workers. The big income games were, of course, amongst the top 1%, especially the upper reaches of that group. Amongst the top hundredth of one percent, the average real income soared from five and a half million to twenty five million mm. over those forty seven years. That's, that's, fair. that's a growth rate of five hundred and ninety times greater 
than what the bottom 90% experience. But these people take a lot of risks, you know. Well, of course they do. A disparity made even greater because those at the top saw their income tax fall by about three times as much as the bottom 90, 90%. So this is the way things are going in the land of freedom in America, and it's coming here. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.